from the creators of Relevant Magazine, this is the Relevant Podcast. In the stone walls of Harmony, I'll bear witness. Anybody with a wooden mind can never forgive the sight. Of wicked snakes inside a place you thought was dignified. It's Tuesday, November 26, 2019. You're listening to The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Huckabee, here in Nashville, Tennessee, over there in Orlando, Florida, keeping an eye on things, making sure we don't get too far off base, that we don't get too blue, that we don't that we don't offend the PC police. We got our producer, Chandler String. Hey. Uh, out there in Loveland, Virginia, uh, we, uh, we're always happy to welcome, especially in this festive time of year, the holidays. Please welcome back our friend Jesse Carey to the podcast. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. And joining us today, oh, man, this is going to be a fun one. We've been trying to get this guy to join us for a while. Glad this finally worked out. Please to welcome Derek Miner to the podcast. Hey, Derek. What up, though? What up, though? <laughs> How's it going, man? Man, it's going great. Going great, beautiful time to be alive, baby. That's right, Derek. Where where are regionally are you calling us from this morning? I know you're a busy guy. The holidays are here. You got a lot going on. Where where are you located at the moment? Oh, I'm at the crib. We're in Nashville, baby. Oh, that's right. I like it, man. Nash, yes, Nashville. Sir. That's where that's where Huckabee is too. Are do you, are you that's traveling uh, for for Thanksgiving at all, or do you hang do you hang there in Nashville? Nah, man. So like. When my second son was born, my uh, mother and mother-in-law were the fighting over what holidays we gonna spend where, and I just <laughs> yeah. was like, forget it. We're spending a holiday at my house, and everybody so wants just, to come. You just bail on the whole thing and say we're we're just hanging home. Yeah, I'm like I'm like nah, it's, I'm not doing all that. I'm not packing my kids up. Like my mom lives in Ohio, so that's an eight-hour trip, and I just was like, nope, time to. Oof establish our own um, our own traditions which has been good because you know it's been cool like and but I just wasn't going to do all that arguing dude that takes some courage to look to look the the not just the family but the in-laws and say listen we're doing th- we're doing our own thing new traditions start now like you can tell them they can come to you I like that I, I'm gonna I might have to use that uh, uh, sometime <laughs> like yeah listen we're all about celebrating but you guys come to us you know I like that I like that <laughs> hey man that, that's the reason why my raps are so fierce like if I could take on my mom and my mother-in-law, I don't really care what they're doing. There, there's no issue. You can't stare down if you can take them on <laughs> not, the holidays. No, not at all. <laughs> Um, Derek, you're going to be joining us for the whole show today. We're also going to be talking a little later on uh, to Calvin Harrison Jr. He's the star of the new critically acclaimed film from May 24 called Waves. Had a really good chat with him. Uh, before we do that, before we get on, we got a lot to get to today. We're going to be going to talk about holidays a little bit. Uh, we got more. We're, we're going to we got we got some slices that we're going to cover. But I really, Derek, I want to talk to you about the new album uh, that you you've got. Nothing but a word. Um, first of all, congratulations on that. I know it's a big account. I know it takes a lot of work. So congratulations on getting that. It's really, really good. Um, can you talk a little bit about like where, where did this album come from? Just, just even just sonically, just the sound, what were your inspirations? Oh man, I told prop, uh, so prop, prop was in Nashville. He had like, uh, he was, you know, how tours are some days, uh, you gotta, you know, stay in a certain place for a long time. So he had a little break in Nashville for like three days. So he was like, yo, let's make some music. Let's kick it. So I'm like, mm-hmm. bro, pull up on me. 
So he came over and we kind of worked on like, I think like one or two records. Um, and then he was like, yo, this is, this is nuts. Cause my workflow is pretty fast. So I've always wanted to, I've always wanted to do a, a project with prop. Honestly, I, as a producer, like there's tons of artists that I like. I, I always have felt like, man, if, if I had my hands in their creative process, I could, I could make something cool. So with prop, <clears throat> I wanted to go like vintage, vintage LA. Like, so, yeah. mm-hmm. but like backpacker LA. So like people under the stairs or, or like, uh, just like, you know, and just like the backpack LA that nobody really talks about. So I wanted to mix that with Tame and Paula. Um, oh, cause I just like Tame I like and Paula. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's really kind of where we went. So if you notice, like when you hear dope, there's all these like scents that are real wobbly and all of that. And this, and that's all on purpose. Like I wanted to craft this texture because like when I think of prop, I think vintage, yeah. classic, mm-hmm. timeless, uh, artist MC. So I kind of wanted to craft that kind of sound film on this tape. And, and that's what we went with. The, the, there's a guitar solo. I think it's in the song comments that it's just like yeah. such a cool, like sort of juxtaposition with like the beat. Who, who's the, who's shredding that guitar on the background of that song? Adam, Adam McPhail does all my guitar work. So, okay. Uh, I, I've been doing, I've been working on Adam for probably two, three years now. So Adam, every guitar on every project you've heard probably since, think, uh, probably probably for about the last three years has been him. So oh, yeah, he's he's yeah. a beast, man. He's he's the kid was playing with BB King when he was eight years old. Like he has oh, this picture playing, <laughs> yeah, like BB King at eight, and I'm like, yeah, I see why you got chops. Yeah, well, I mean that guitar so it sounds so effortless in the background. You know, I say in the background, but like it's sort of like this complimentary kind of thread through the song, and it sound it's it's such like a smooth sound to the song. Yeah, he's uh, Adam's like a missile man. I, I I get we get in the studio and I kind of just tell him where I'm going, so I'll give him vibes like so. I'm trying to remember what record. I think it was Overjoyed on the record. Um, I told him I want Santana. I said, mm. I want I want Santana and Quentin Tarantino. Oh, and he man. just goes <laughs> off. He just, just goes whatever direction I send him. And, uh, yeah. and usually it only takes, like, what I'll do with him, he never really misses. So I'll just get, like, two or three takes that I like, and then I'll comp and put them all together. Uh, but yeah, Adam is, he's, 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 I know that my friends are the best musicians in Nashville. So I'm blessed to be able to have, uh, just so many dope access to so many dope musicians. It, the the album has so many, you know, other incredible collaborations. I mean, Liz Vice is on there, Aaron Cole. I mean, there, I, I was wondering, Derek, like, wh- do you have like your dream list, like your blue sky list of these are the artists that are kind of your Mount Rushmore of who who you want to collaborate with one day? Uh, not really, man. Like I just if and, and this might sound really really cocky, but I feel like my friends are the best in the business. So yeah. like, like I get to collaborate with all the producers I'm collaborating with now are the ones I enjoy collaborating with. With one caveat, I mean, besides the legends, I mean, if you put me in a studio, like if you were to ask me if I if I had like any time, any chance in the world, it probably would be Kanye, uh, Dr. Dre, um, Just Blaze, um, 
And I would just want to sit down with Quincy Jones and just ask him, oh, yeah. how, how did you become a genius? <laughs> when did you know? You know what I mean? But yeah. yeah so, yeah. uh, and, and then as far as writers like Ryan Tedder, big fan of Ryan Tedder. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. uh, I love to sit down with just the guys from Sam and Paula and just yeah. see what drugs they smoke before they because <laughs> it's clearly influenced by drugs so I just wanted to see what that looks like I, hey, l- l- listen I know the answer it's cotton candy vape juice and I don't know I don't know how they do it I don't know I don't know how it inspired there's no way you're making this music sober I'm, it's, it's obviously no way but uh, I, I'm a big fan of uh, big fan of them um but I, I like if we being honest, man. Like my the people I work with now, I feel like they're the most talented people in the yeah, world. Yeah. So that's why I yeah. like working with them. Oh, last person. So the sample and dope. Originally there was a beat uh, for the song "Dope." Originally it was a different type of beat. It wasn't the same uh, beat. And I was listening to it. I felt like I could do better. So I found the sample with this girl singer, and I think her name is Audrey Pound. And I okay. reached out to her on um, on uh, Instagram, and it was crazy. I had to do a bunch of digging to find out because she's part of this band called Leisure Center. And then I started looking. I'm like, this is just a white girl from Australia, and she has the most soulful vocals I've ever heard. So uh, she's definitely on my wish list. You are going to get a Derek Minor, Audrey Pound song <laughs> for the year before for 2020 ends. I have to find her and do a song with her. I think we've even talked to her. I feel like she's been in the magazine before, if I remember. It might have been a little while, but I remember coming across her the same way and saying, we need to highlight this girl's work because her she's voice, amazing. her creativity, is just, it's, it's next level. Yeah, she's on another level. I've never... like She she sings and she plays the trumpet. like, uh-huh. And I'm just like, you're playing with the Teskey brothers? Like, what the heck? It's like, you're yeah. just a genius. So I, 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 we've been communicating on Instagram a little bit, and she said next time she's in Nashville, she's gonna look me up. So oh, cool. We're gonna do some. We're gonna do some music. That's cool. gonna happen. D- Derek, you mentioned uh, on your, you know, kind of dream collaboration list would be Kanye. What, what's your real quick? I know everyone's got a take about Jesus is King, but what did you think of it as just as just kind of an album? Not, you know, kind of the the career and and views and you know place that Kanye occupies in culture aside. What did you think of Jesus is King as like an album? I thought it was cool. I thought it was uh, what I would expect from a person who is making faith-based music and they've never yeah. made it before. Yeah. So it's probably not an album I would particularly make in the sense that, um, you know, not even the idea of just, you know, Jesus for lyrics are bad. I, I, I love albums like that. And I think it's a great album if you're trying to worship, but I think just for me, I'm such an artist that, like for me, I, I feel like he just needs a little bit more meat on his bones as far yeah. as just as a as a artist. And that's gonna happen. I think I could see the I could see him abandoning everything uh musically, not musically, but content wise, lyrically, mm-hmm. abandoning all of that because you wanna make the space holy. So I feel like as he begins to experience more life through the new worldview that he has. 
what's going to happen is it's going to be more complex. Like, like I was telling a friend, I was like, I love the fact that every, every song is like really Jesus for it. That's dope. Like for me, I always want to know. So how does that impact your decision making? Mm. You see what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I would love to hear a song about how does him loving Jesus impact his relationship with Kim and his kids and mm-hmm. the celebrity and managing that. Like, I, I love, you know, I, I love songs, like I said, worship songs, but I also, I want to hear what gets me is when someone tells me how it practically plays out in their life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what I felt is was missing a little bit from the lyrics, but I also understand it because this is his first faith-based project and he's just trying to figure it out and he's super passionate about what the Lord has done in his life. So I applaud that. Uh, but just for me, I'm always looking for the practical application. That's in any album. Usually. Yeah. It, yeah. And it, it, it's almost like, it's almost, you know, I, I hate the term, but like the idea of like the baby Christian sort of like, they're just so excited about what they've discovered that, that their views are relatively uncomplicated and not overly nuanced. But I could see, I could see the next project, you know, hopefully kind of evolving, like you were saying to that kind of deeper spiritual territory. Or maybe it won't, you know, like, I don't, I don't feel like, I don't feel like the type of music that I like is, is like this upper echelon. Like you have to be to that. Like if he makes the music he's made now for the next five years and everything is super Jesus forward, there's a space for that. And, 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 you know, the proof's in the pudding. I mean, we're having conversations about it now Mm -hmm. because of what he did on Jesus is King. So I definitely think it's dope. Um, I just know for me, what motivates me, only music that I listen to that's like, like seriously like that is really like Fred Hammond from my childhood mm-hmm. and Kurt. Yeah. Like I go yeah. back and that's my worship music. Like that's what I worship yeah. to is like old school gospel. Um, so I, I see what Jesus is King. That was kind of his thing is like, I'm going to do this gospel album. Uh, that is almost intended to be this worship album that's cool for for young people. And I'm like, if he if he goes that stays on that lane, that's cool. I just know as far as yay, I just want to know more the practical, like how is that affecting him? And you know, he may tell that story, he may not tell that story. I don't know, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I just know for me, like I I, I want to hear the practical stuff. That's always going to be me. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's uh, we're going to take a, a quick break and we're actually going to listen to uh, one of the songs. We'll clip the, some of the songs from uh, from the album. Uh, when we come back, we're going to get into slices. Struggling and workaholic, I can't call it, can't call it sick. I can't stop it, need a four cups of coffee to accomplish this. I stay talking to prove points, man, I ain't listening. I build humble beasts, but my pride still be kicking in. I stay tripping, I blame others for my predicaments. I cut corners, I judge friends for not checking in. I preach grace, been picking shoes who still lives in sin. I sneak this, then dismiss like I'm just kidding. A grown man with two kids still trying to fit in. I still long to be long, that's why I'm tripping. I insecure, I fake pure, I ain't repented. My red couch is full of doubt and confusion. You're listening to Contradiction by our guest today, Derek Miner, and Propaganda is there too, and all featuring Aaron Cole as well. Oh, and at the beginning of the podcast, you heard Harmony Hall. 
by Vampire Weekend. Uh, now it's time for our uh, our weekly look back at some of the stories that caught our eye this week that we want to bring to your attention. It's time for Slices. Jesse, what do you got? All right, I have I have two news stories that I'm interested in both of your guys' opinions on. For I'll start with one that's a little uh, meatier, and then we'll work into <laughs> one that's just they're so both bizarre. Meaty, they're the, both yeah. don't don't sell it short. <laughs> yeah, I won't. Okay, so this one comes from Pew, and they've released the findings of a new study that found, and this is from the, their research. Nearly two thirds of Americans in the new survey say churches and other houses of worship should keep out of political matters, while 36 percent say they should express their views on day-to-day social and political questions. Now, three-quarters of the public express the view that churches should not come out in favor of one political candidate during elections. Obviously, that is in contrast by the efforts from the current administrations to roll back uh, these, you know, the Johnson Amendment, which prohibits prohibits churches uh, from endorsing political candidates uh, and they they can risk losing their tax-exempt status. However, interestingly, despite these views that churches should stay out of political matters, uh, more and more Americans actually have a, a reasonably favorable view of churches place in society. Um, U.S. adults have a favorable view of the role of religious institutions uh, that they play in American life more broadly beyond politics. This is from the study. More than half of the public believes that churches and religious organizations do more good than harm. And just one in five say that organizations do more harm than good. So overall, people are have a favorable view of what churches bring to society. But most Americans, according to the study, say that American churches should stay out of politics. Uh, Derek and Tyler, I'm interested. What are your reactions to these studies, both in terms of the overall view of the church being positive, which seems like overall a good thing, but also what's your take on Americans thinking that churches should probably stay out of politics? Uh, <laughs> Derek, you wanna, I'll let you handle that one. Oh, man. <laughs> I, oh. That's a loaded, that, that joint is loaded, loaded. Uh, yeah, because it's kind of a double-edged coin there. Yeah, yeah it's like, it, yeah. Um, so I think the problem is in America, we have this false pretense that church and state is separated. Hmm. Um, it's not separated. In the, it's, it is separated in the sense of legally, but the problem is you can't, you can't, uh, can't legislate a mindset. So like I can't legislate racism. I can't be like, all right, we want to, I can legislate the consequences of you being found in that, but the scale is always moving and, and all those different things. Uh, so I think the same thing with religion, the idea of church and state being fully separated is, uh, I think it's just wishful thinking at best. So when you see these people that are like, yeah, we love the church, but at the same time, like, don't get into politics. It's like, it's impossible for the church's mm-hmm. philosophy to not leak into politics. It's just not yeah. going to happen. Um, so I think that kind of leaves us at this place where we're at. Uh, I don't have an issue with churches telling their uh, their political feelings and whatever. I do have an issue. Well, I, I'll put it this way. I have an issue with a leader doing that. I have an issue with a leader convincing their yeah. congregation that yeah. if they don't line up with them politically, that they're in sin. That's my issue. Yeah. Like, so mm-hmm. you can say, hey, I personally 
You could, if you want to say, I personally support Donald Trump, I think this is the best use of my vote, that's totally fine. Um, and you could tell them why. When you begin to say that, you know, if you don't support this person, then you then you are in sin or whatever, then that's when you get into the blasphemous. Yeah. Like for me, I'm like, that's straight blasphemous. Like that's yeah. using your platform in a in an evil way. Uh, and that's my big that's my issue with yeah. it. And so unfortunately though, because pastors are such they they're seen with such high regard, uh, that's almost impossible for you to vote against your pastor. Usually <laughs> most yeah. people are like, man, my pastor knows everything. So if yeah. he's voting for uh, Hillary Clinton, then I'm voting for Hillary Clinton. Yeah, it's yeah. like we have this whole yeah. lemming perspective. I just want people to think for themselves. You know what I mean? I think if pastors taught their congregation to think for themselves, but that's dangerous for them because then they, you know, people might leave if they don't like what they say. Yeah. I think there's an idea that uh, that people that we have here in America, and particularly that religious groups have, which is which really, like you said, kind of alluded, alluded to, Derek. Politics is over here, and then there's everything. There's the rest of life, and and I wish people would stay out of politics and uh, and just get involved. But I think that politics is kind of everywhere. Like like uh, please swear in body cams. Is that a political issue? Well. Kind of because you have to vote for it, but it's also a matter for uh, for a lot of people in this country. It's a matter of life or death. This is a this is a moral issue. Right. It's a social issue. It's a safety issue. Same with things like immigration. Uh, same with things like uh, like the wall. Like yeah, that's political in the sense oh. that our tax dollars go for it. But it's also spiritual in the sense that this is there's biblical commands about how we treat immigrants. So the idea that you can't be involved that we sh- churches should stay out of politics is, is just wishful thinking. Yeah, because, I mean, we've politicized issues that are just straight up biblical issues. I mean, like God calls us to care for creation. Now, that issue has, you know, been appropriated by political parties for, you know, to kind of rally their bases. But you could say that for a lot of issues, like you said, like caring for, for uh, you know, refugees and immigrants. We've a lot of like just core biblical issues has been politicized. So it's hard for the church to stay out of them. Because, you know, they are scriptural. The other, the other element I did think was interesting is that Americans overall seeing churches as like a positive force for society. I think that's mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised by the result of that, but pleasantly. And it reminded me, you know, we recently spoke with uh, Malcolm Gladwell, the author in the new issue of Relevant. And he kind of had a similar take. This is a quote from our interview with him. He said, if you remove Sunday ritual where you are reminded of how much you had in common and all you're left with is Monday through Friday where you don't have much in common. It's a problem, right? There's something incredibly powerfully socially important about bringing people together on a regular basis, reminding them that they all have a part of a community. So I, th- you know, it's interesting there that that view of the church being a true third place, you know, we have the home, we have the workplace and a lot of people don't have a third place. Maybe it's like a coffee shop or a bar or someplace they hang out, right. but to reposition or to have the church positioned as a third place as sort of this wholesome gathering of community, you know, the, the spiritual benefits aside, I think it is, I think at least more Americans seem to be recognizing the important place that church can have mm-hmm. in society in general. Well, I think, I also think that the problem with a lot of, a lot of us, which I, I'm saying like, like adult, young adult Christians who grew up 
and purity culture and uh, youth group and all of that, a lot of us share a similar uh, story in the sense of just being jaded. Mm. So <laughs> the, our friends mm. around us are jaded as well. So we can think that the whole world has this jaded perspective on the church. Yeah. And I, I, I think that we have to be careful of that. Uh, you know, a lot of people still, I, I think we have to be careful. I know a lot of my friends are, are right now reconstructing and deconstructing their faith and different things like that and trying to figure it out. But for a lot of people, the church serves its purpose, which is really a, 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 a social community that they can go and hear inspiring things from the Bible. You know, it feels that yeah. now, whether that's the church or not or whatever, that's a whole different conversation, whether that's how it's supposed to look. But that's what for a lot of people, they go Sunday, hear some dope worship, listen to their pastor for 45 minutes, talk about, uh, you know, talk about, you know, what Jesus did for you. And, and, and then they get to go home and spend time with family, watch the game. So and I think for a lot of people that serves the point for what they wanted to serve. Um, yeah. I think for better or for worse, they sometimes, especially when you're even in the business of Christianity, Christian music or whatever, we can get jaded and think that the rest of the world doesn't have that that hopefulness, and, and they still do. And I also wanted to bring up another thing too. Like I get frustrated with the term. People always use this for me for some reason, and they're like, "Yo, social justice." Like we we're talking about, like splitting politics and religion. Mm, and as yeah. a, re- you know, within evangelical circles, there's this term called social justice, and it really trips me out because I'm like, "Well, justice is justice," you know. Mm-hmm. And I think we agree. They would say, "Well, justice is justice." I'm like, "Well, right. Well, make sure that you include justice for everyone in your idea of justice." And it's just like. That was a good example of how we try to make something like you try to make something not political or or it's like solely political. Like people will say that my music is just political music. It's like, no, my music is me reading the Bible and saying, yo, these things are wrong. And then people have put certain stuff into categories and said, oh, well, he's a social justice warrior or whatever. I'm like, you created that name because you don't want to deal with the issues that are at hand. Mm, You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and even how people throw that around as sort of like almost this like, you know, accusation or insult. When if you look at I feel like if you just like look at it outside the context of how that term's been like weaponized, it's like that should be. If you just look at the meaning of the words, like a social justice warrior, it it should be like a badge of honor to be like, yeah, I fight for people's justice. But it's like even that, even fighting for basic biblical principles, a lot of times has become like politicized in a in a bad way. Is that has that been your experience, Eric? Yeah, it's a huge. It's huge. It's like, like literally, my I've I've literally written I've written written countless songs. But, you know, some of the songs that have got me in the most trouble were songs that I said, hey, you guys shouldn't shoot black people. And people yeah. are like, oh, he's a social <laughs> justice warrior. No, I'm like, no, I'm just black and yeah. I don't want to get killed yeah. for reaching for my wallet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's not, you know, that we live that in a country. That seems pretty apolitical at that point. <laughs> that's not political at all. Like, that's just basic uh, yeah. uh, self-preservation. In a, in a country that says that we have the right to uh, 
you know what I'm saying, to, to uh, have the pursuit of happiness, man. Like, I can't be happy if when I reach for my wallet, I feel like I'm going to get shot. Like, yeah. there ain't, ain't no, nothing happy about that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the idea that me saying that puts me in this category for for some evangelicals, I think it's like, puts me in the category of some sort of fringe, uh, whatever. I don't know what they would call me. I guess some some sort of caricature or some sort of whatever. Like to me, that sh- that shows more their uh, their lack of understanding of the Bible than it does yeah. mine. You know, because yeah. I mean, Yeshua literally died on the cross to reconcile all men to Himself, and to you know, so I'll, it just it's just a trip, yeah. Like yeah. some of the stuff is just wild. Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy times in terms of how polarizing, even seemingly reasonable things can be made. But I want to, I want to pivot to another story I saw this week that uh, <laughs> it's a little change of pace, but uh, I got a lot of amusement out of, so there is a website, there's a, a video that was going viral this week and it, and it originated from a site called Cameo. Uh, Cameo is a website where uh, people can pay celebrities a pretty small fee. I mean, they range from like $20 to like from like an old lady sitcom star to like, I don't know, 150 to get like Gilbert Godfrey. But basically you can pay them. You can pay these celebrities and they will they will record a video message for you. Uh, that's that's like two minutes long. Well, uh, a, a woman named Cheyenne decided that it was time to break up with her long distance boyfriend named Braden right here at the holidays, cold hearted. Uh, I don't know what's going on in the relationship, but he would have thought she could at least got through Thanksgiving before the breakup, but she felt like it was time, but she felt like also she didn't want to deliver it herself. That this news, this heartbreaking news of their breakup would be better delivered by someone else. And why not pay Mark McGrath, the lead singer of the of the pop band Sugar Ray to deliver the hard news. And a lot of people have been watching this clip of 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 Mark McGrath breaking up with Braden. I want to play a clip because Mark McGrath took a tough scenario. And honestly, I, I left this clip feeling inspired. Chandler, if you don't <laughs> mind clu- queuing up Mark McGrath breaking up with Braden on behalf of Cheyenne. What's up, Braden? It is Mark McGrath from the band Sugar Ray, off the charts, but always in your hearts. And this cameo was booked by Cheyenne, and she wants you to know a few things. And this is a little difficult for me to say because it's the first one of these I've done, but she wants you to know that you mean a lot to her. You mean the world to her, but she's having difficulty staying in this long-distance relationship. You know, it's tough. I've been on the road for years and I've been with my wife a long time. And the the biggest arguments, the biggest, you know, obstacles in our relationships is the distance between us. It makes it very difficult when we're on the road um, and it's hard. So Cheyenne is trying to let you know, Braden, that it's very, very tough for her (laughs) to stay in this relationship. She still cares about you a lot. You never know what the future may hold. And she still wants to be friends with you because obviously she cares about you very, very much. And she wants you to know, good luck on your thesis coming up. 
Probably not the best timing, <laughs> Cheyenne, when he's doing his thesis. But yeah, I understand. You know, you got to work on your thesis, and life goes on. And um, you know, I'm sure there's big things ahead of you in the future, Braden. But Cheyenne cares about you enough to let you know that she's thinking about you. But the long distance thing is just a little difficult for her, and she wants you to stay positive. She wants you to be friends, and she knows that. Um, you're a fan of the band Sugar Ray, which I'm honored. I wish I was delivering you good news. Hopefully I can see you backstage, give oh, you a high no. five someday, dude. Oh, we can no. maybe laugh about this sometimes. Hopefully we oh, all can. No. Cheyenne, Braden, all of us. We all can hang out. But uh, she wants to be friends right now, bro. The long distance thing's a little difficult, but she wishes you nothing but the best. All the love in the world. And do, 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 do your best on that thesis, man. I know it's uh, it's tough in the holiday season and um, relationships and all that stuff, man. But you've got big things ahead of you, bro. If you're working on a thesis, you've got a good life in front of you. All right. On behalf of Mark Jeez. McGrath and Cheyenne, we love you, Braden. Be positive, bro. All right. Can, can, we, can we cue up uh, the song? You're as cold as ice. <laughs> no kidding. the sacrifice I love. No kidding. You never take advice. <laughs> I have no idea talking. how much Cheyenne paid Mark McGrath for that breakup, but he earned every penny because he could have just been like, hey, bro, bad news. Cheyenne wants it over. I know you're busy. No Thanksgiving. Dude, he dug in. He's like reading into the details of Raiden's life. He's relating it. I, I've been agnostic about the music of Sugar Ray. Like I haven't thought yeah. about Sugar Ray in a long time. It's been a long time. I, I, I can't. I honestly don't know the last time I've thought about Mark McGrath as a human being, or if I've ever really considered him as a human being. But I've decided any bad news that I have, I will pay Mark McGrath to deliver it. He was incredible. Bro. Like what a thought. That was the best breakup I've ever heard. I've, I'm of two minds about it because on the one hand, it's cold. Like that's a that's a that is a low to not to you know to not face to face to not be able to pull a breakup off face to face that would hurt that would stink but assuming that this is true and that he is a a big fan of Sugar Ray which is I'm not saying they don't exist I'm just saying that's surprising <laughs> I'm not that, saying there are really Sugar Ray fans out there in 2019 not, not maybe Braden yeah, is I'm, one of them maybe he's 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 the guy so that would. Would that lessen the blow or would I, would I feel like you were treating me? And now it's everywhere. That, that's doubly weird that, because that, that's, that's I, hard. I don't care what nobody say. Ain't nobody that dumb to <laughs> break up with somebody via their favorite artist. Like that is just, that's cold. She was like sticking the knife in, twisting that joint. Pulling it out, sticking it back in. Like, this dude is going to fail his thesis. Like, his thesis is wrecked. It's over. You're, 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 you're the lead singer of your favorite band just broke up with you via. <laughs> you know, the worst part is, too, if he really was a Sugar Ray fan, every time Sugar Ray comes on, he's going to, all he's going to think yeah, about is Heartbreak flashbacks. and Cheyenne. Flashbacks. Like, he, Cheyenne bro, ruined Cheyenne, Sugar Ray for him, hey, you know? Cheyenne ain't loyal, bro. Derek, you've Derek, you're a guy. You've got a lot of fans out there. How much? What, what if a if a woman came to you and said, Derek, my boyfriend is a big fan of yours. I'm not feeling the relationship. How much money would it take for you to say, All right, I can do a video. I can do this video. Hey man, look. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> to be to be totally honest with you, my guy, bro. 
I might do it just for fifty dollars, depending <laughs> on what I'm trying to get. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, if, if I'm trying to go to Longhorn Steakhouse and give me a little, you know what I'm saying? Turn up, man. Hey, fifty dollars to get it done. Holla at me if you want me to break up with your boyfriend for you. I'm just putting that out there. We're on the podcast. We got. I got you need, if you don't boy. know how to deliver this message. Listen, I we, think Derek me, can do it for you. Me and Tyler did a deep dive on this on this website cameo where you can hire celebrities. Fifty dollars is actually pretty reasonable. Like you can, you know, I could get Melissa Joan Hart from Calissa Explains It All to, you know, quit my job for me for around that price. So I think I think fifty dollars is very reasonable. Fifty dollars, bro. Derek Miner got you, bro. I'm telling you. Whenever you want to quit relevant, just holla at me, bro. I got you. I'm going to be like, hey, nah, he out. <laughs> my, guy, my guy is done. <laughs> I, just send, I just send a resignation email and I said, please watch this video. And then Derek, it's you sitting very solemnly and it's like, listen, we had a good run. He's got other opportunities. It's time to explore, you know? <laughs> He will appreciate a good recommendation uh, from from the future employer. Ah, not the good recommendation. <laughs> and then I'll and then just for good measure, I'll get Gilbert Godfrey to, re- to record one for me too. Oh, oh yes, this is amazing. That's funny. Well, the slide I brought this week is also a uh, it, it's another it's another shift it's another it's, we're doing another u-turn here so we're just, just buckle up uh but this is a story that we we've covered a few times in, and it feels like it's finally actually has sort of a happy ending um so if you guys followed the the story of this guy scott warren down in arizona who's a volunteer uh, uh undocumented immigrant uh he, he assists undocumented immigrants when they cross the border he works for this organization out there called no more deaths and they just uh they, they put food and water in the desert there along the southern borders for people who come up from Mexico, making that very dangerous trek through the desert there. They, they put little uh, spots along the way to make sure people are getting are getting water and getting fed. And then on this side of the border, uh, they even have some some temporary housing shut up, set up for people who need uh, uh, they, they need some medicine, they need, they need uh, any sort of medical treatment, they need directions to get somewhere. They've got a few spots that are sort of off the grid that these people can go to. So obviously saving lives, uh, doing good work for people coming in, uh, and also uh, legally sort of precarious. So this guy, Scott Warren, works for this organization, uh, and he was arrested uh, earlier this year by some Border Patrol agents who saw him providing assistance to two undocumented immigrants who came across the border uh, from Central America. And uh, he gave them some direction, some some medical attention and gave them some directions on on where to go from that stop there. He was arrested for that because that's, uh, according to Border Patrol, that's aiding and abetting an illegal activity uh, crossing the border. And uh, he was facing up to 10 years in jail for doing this. Uh, and then there was a mistrial earlier this year. The, the first, his first time he went to court, the jury was unable to reach a decision. So the judge declared that a mistrial. And then this week, Scott Warren was found not guilty. Uh, so he's what, so he is a free man. Uh, the lawyers in the case that was consulted for this Daily Beast article about it said that they believed probably the thing that really swayed the jury and, and, and the law in this case was the fact that this was an expression of his faith. 
Uh, this was mm-hmm. in, in uh, he was this was pitched as a religious freedom issue since his religion uh, he he's a Christian tells him that to help immigrants to help strangers in in this land uh, saying that the, he can't do that would be a violation of his religious freedom. That's something I've thought about. I've wondered if that was going to become an issue with this immigration crackdown. If um, if the 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 command the biblical teaching about how to help immigrants would become a bigger part of this story, it took almost uh, the first full term of the administration for it to become one. But I, I wonder what you guys. I, I don't know if you followed that, but that based on that summary of the case there uh, that he's walking free now, I'm wondering sort of what your thoughts are about about how all that played out. I don't know. It's just so crazy how how multiple people can read the same book and get totally different outcomes from it. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah. This guy says his faith inspired him to do this, even at the cost of his freedom. And then there's the other people that's like, well, my faith tell me to build a wall. And y'all stay out. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's uh, I guess, you know, it, and I'm not saying who's right or wrong. Like, that's none of my business. That's that's between them and the, and the, and the man upstairs. But it's just crazy to me. That's just one of the ones I'm like, wow. Like you can read the same book and have totally different philosophies from that book. I think that's something that we should all be uh, we should all be thinking about. That's crazy though. I'm I'm glad he got off though. You know, yeah, I'm glad he got off because I mean I don't I don't see how giving people water so they don't die. Yeah, but you know what would have. It would have really, I feel like, made this whole situation better is if, it, you know, during the legal proceedings, when they, when the jury came to the decision that uh, this individual is not guilty, which I think, too, is, is the right decision here. If Mark McGrath from Sugar Ray would have come out and read the decision. Listen, United States Border Patrol. Listen, bros. I know you're trying to enforce a law down there, but these people are dying in the desert. My man over here is just helping him. He's not guilty. So we'll all go high five behind the backstage of Sugar Ray and we'll work this thing out. All right. Peace out, bros. Like, let's just have Mark McGrath deliver Deliver. complicated legal decisions. And I think, I think, I think, you know, please, let's do that. Hey, look, let's put, bro, let's put, let's put, I don't know how much Mark McGrath's joint is. Let's just split it up. In the threes, like I put fifty on it, you put fifty on it, Tyler put fifty on it, somebody else put fifty on it. We gotta see Mark do that, oh. or just make a new law, a new a new amendment to the Constitution to make Mark McGrath a, an all time juror, kind of like the all time QB when you're playing football as kid. Just whatever the jury is, whatever the case is, Mark McGrath is always on I that w- jury because he is a fair minded, reasonable, <laughs> clearly thoughtful, yes. seizing from all sides. So he's just on the case. Listen, I would watch a judge show where Mark looked like a Judge Judy, but it's Mark McGrath. And he's like, listen, bro, this is a tough one right here. But I'll tell you what, Cheyenne. Like, I would listen. It'd be be must-see TV. He would come out there with those frosted tips and those kind eyes and just deliver deliver warm-hearted, fair-minded justice. I, 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 I would watch that show. Even for really appalling cases, like this, the jury has found you guilty of murdering so many people, so many individuals. But I, I'm sure you had your reason. You are going to jail uh, for uh, forever. But 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 you know what? Oh, I, listen, hope it's a, I hope it's a re- re- I hope you learn a lot there. Hope you get rehabilitated. Yes. I agree. That's Mark McGrath out here, uh, like Doctor <laughs> Phil, Judge Judy Mix. 
<laughs> he's got my vote and he so, obviously i think his services are reasonably affordable so I'm, that's I'm true all yeah. Clear, clearly willing to do it on the cheap well that'll do it for slices we're taking a quick break and when we come back kelvin harrison jr joins us listening to how simple by hop along well, kelvin harrison jr is an actor who has starred in films including it comes at night and mudbound and currently stars in the lead role of tyler in the new breakout film waves the film about a family struggling with faith and unity in the midst of tragedy has already garnered rave reviews and early buzz as an oscar favorite i got to talk to kelvin and the director as well here trey uh, about the the making of this movie really really interesting very uh, uh rewarding uh, rich movie that is uh very difficult to watch at times but but delivers on an extremely profound uh, moment of forgiveness and redemption. I wanted to talk to Kelvin about what it was that drew him to uh, this part. It's a very, it's a complicated role. It's not a, it's, it's a demanding, very difficult role as he was very open about. And I wanted to ask him what really uh, drew him to the part in the first place. It was the, 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 the tragedy in the film, you know, it was the, it was the, the big risky moment that everyone kind of, you know, beat over our heads before we started this movie. And I was I was like, if, if this is such a, a scare, if this is such a fear of what this looks like for this young black kid to go through this journey, then I'm excited to demystify and like dismantle that theory. I was like, this kid is just like, he can be flawed. He can be contradictory. He can be problematic. He can be all the things that everyone else in the world is. And it doesn't necessarily turn him into, it doesn't, you can't label him because of it. He's just a boy. And so the idea of like taking on that challenge and trusting and, and, and going through this journey with Trey, which was so, so, so built off of trust and, and, and uh, a love for each other that we saw these parallels between our two lives made me, made me even more excited to kind of, sh- to, 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 to kind of stop letting people believe that, you know, white and black are so different. We're just, everybody's a human being and we're just doing the best we can every day to survive. That's interesting to hear, you know, from there's a lot of I feel like roles, especially like during Oscar season, where the the line between like good and bad is pretty clear. You know, Mm -hmm. like a lot of the a lot of the performances and films that get recognized have like a clear protagonist who is working against kind of difficult forces. But what's interesting about this film and particularly Kelvin's character is he is conflicted. He, he, he goes mm-hmm. through a lot and, and uh, he's a flawed individual, but someone you still have empathy for. And I mean, that's what makes, I feel like the performance so powerful. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's, uh, I wanted to ask him a little bit about the, as you, you heard him say at the end there, he was, interested to, to tell a story that was sort of universal. Uh, this is a story about a black family uh, written and directed by a, by a white filmmaker. And I wondered what, what sort of differences or similarities are there? Uh, this was Trey, uh, the director, and Kelvin, who we're talking to here, were very collaborative on this. And I wondered about where their stories they felt were very similar based on their upbringings and where they were sort of different because of just the racial realities of living in the U.S. Here's what Kelvin said. I think it just comes into the, the 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 stakes. The stakes are high. I mean, I'm talking like like actor terms, but like I just feel like when you when you think about the history of what Ronald has seen as a father and how he views the world, 
in a time where he didn't live with the amount of privilege that Tyler has or the progression or or the opportunities that Tyler had on the table for him, he sees he sees America differently. So he's going to raise his son differently. And he's going to raise his son with a fear that will be different from the way Trey's dad or, you know, or per se my dad versus Trey's dad will see the world. I, so in in that context, it's always this protection um, and um, protection that that's more than just, I guess, what a parent would do, but more so to protect his black son in, in a world where, you know, he could be at the wrong place, wrong time and everything changes for him just because we keep seeing it time and time again in the news. So I just, yeah, statistically, historically, the, the stakes are a bit higher, but the intention is still the same. So I think that's why we were able to combine these stories and make them make sense because at the root of it, it is about love and it is about too much love and it is about, you know, a, a miscommunication in a lot of ways and the generational differences between us. But I think for the black family, it is, but also to add on to that, is my son going to be, you know, lose his life or, or is something bad going to happen to him because he's black? And that's that fear we go through every scene with Tyler, just wondering, like, could anything bad ever happen? You know, the uh, the movie and I, I won't give deliver any spoilers here. And I would really encourage people to to uh, not read anything about this movie before they go see it, yeah. because uh, the, the less you know about it going in. I would say the the better, uh, but there is a scene early on in which Tyler and the rest of his family, including his father, played by Sterling K. Brown from uh, This Is Us, uh, go to church and uh, and there's a, a very powerful sermon about love and forgiveness being delivered, and Tyler's fallen asleep through it. He's, mm. uh, he's he's drifting off as this movie goes on. Those themes that were being preached on become much more resonant in his life for some very traumatic reasons. And I was curious about his experience of playing somebody who heard something that, that a lot of us hear about the importance of love and, and the love of God and how they became a real thing for his character. And I, th- I found his answer very insightful. I think, um, I think it, I don't know if it was, a, I wouldn't say a conversion, but I definitely think that there's that moment where real, faith was always a part of Ty's experience. And I think, you know, his family really ingrained that into him and he believes it. He believes in God. He believes in forgiveness. He believes in, and, 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 and hope. And I think with this kid, it's like when once you get to this this point towards the end of the film, he's you have to live through certain things in order to appreciate everything else. And I think now that he's gone through something, he can kind of really see it because at the end of the day, it's like, who does he have left in that moment? And when he's by himself day after day trying to survive, what he was taught was, well, then talk to God, come to God, and and guess what? He will be there for you. And I think for that that boy is is is, is he's understanding and appreciating love again. He's understanding and appreciating family again, and he's in a, a desperate need to be forgiven himself. He has, for himself and for his family. So he's in a he's in a, a moment where he's trying to 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 regain um, a sense of a sense of a sense of peace in his life where he feels like he deserves to be, to, to, to live, you know? So super cool conversation. Yeah. I'm looking forward to sharing more of it and to share more of our conversation with the director who had some really great thoughts about that as well. Would encourage people to go check out waves. I do think you'll be hearing about it. I, I get to, get to watch a lot of movies for, for this show, for, for the podcast and working for relevant, but, and, and I, I enjoy a lot of them, but this one did have a pretty profound impact on me. And I, I, I uh, think that it would for you as well. 
We're gonna take a quick break when we come back. Best of the decade with Derek Mudd. You're listening to In My Room. It's by Frank Ocean. Well, uh, guys, we're coming up on the end of the decade. We're, we're about a month out from from putting the 2010s behind us for good and, and good riddance, I would say. Uh, we are on this podcast over the next couple of weeks. We do want to hear from our listeners. Uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of the best ofs, favorite movies, music, TV, books, podcasts, whatever. The, the thing, the, the, the entertainment release that really made your last decade, that, that stuck with you for the entire decade. Uh, we want to talk about those. We're going to discuss them here on the show. To start us all off, Derek, we want to hear a little bit from you about the, the, the movies, the music, uh, the TV shows, the books that have stuck with you from 2010 to now. Do you have anything? Does anything jump to the top of mind from there? I think I probably would go with one release that really was big for me was uh, pretty much every Kendrick album. Good Kid, oh, yeah. Mad City, oh, yeah. Purple Butterfly, and Damn. I all three of those. I think. I think. I don't. I don't think uh, Section Eighty came out in 2010. I think it came out a little bit before. But I think, yeah, Good Kid, Mad City, Purple Butterfly, and Damn. Like his whole catalog, just Kendrick in general. Let's just yeah. make him. Do you think he's the, the artist of the decade? Because I think you could make the case that he was the artist of the decade. I don't think you. I don't think you give him artist of the decade. Oh really? I think he's. I think he's. Yeah. I think he's. I think he's brilliant, but I think you can't give him artist of the decade because I think you also got to in, include cultural impact and all that. And uh, and as Kendrick, for me, is one of the dopest artists. But I think you got to get you could you would have to either give that to Kanye or Drake. I think mm. um, just because the. Drake's impact. I mean, he's literally now. Some people would say that he rides waves, but Drake specifically, like, I mean, he's literally changed the sound of music and rap, like almost every time he drops something. Yeah, like that's true. from from the hashtag flow to the sing songy raps to to the the R going to the R and B vibe, like. He changes like literally like people were rapping like him and people yeah. rap like yeah. Kendrick, but it wasn't on a level of, of of Drake. Like it was just Drake. The Drake bitery of 2010s were crazy. So I, I think I'd have to give it to Drake. But if you talk about who's my favorite artist of the decade is probably Kendrick. For sure. The, the, the interesting thing about Drake, too, is like I feel like he changed the way like not music is like marketed, but like music is consumed to a degree. Like he kind of leaned into like meme culture, you know, like Drake wasn't afraid to be, you know, like he had a degree of self-awareness that transcended his place as like a music star where he was sort of like also, you know, memeified frequently or, you know, Mm -hmm. when you see him like courtside at a, at a Raptors game in the playoffs, it's like, even if you have no opinion of him as an artist, him as a persona, it it was such a powerful force culturally. Like even when he hosted SNL, like it was like a cultural moment, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So I I think that's why I would have to give him that, but it's not necessarily because 
and it, like it's all relative. So if we're talking about yeah. who's my favorite artist of the decade, it would be Kendrick uh, and Kanye. Like Kanye, Kanye's is uh, he's my favorite artist. Like that's just no no hands down. Mm-hmm. But um, I would say Kendrick would be my my favorite of the, the this next wave. I guess what J Cole would call the middle children. Like they're like they're not they're too young to be mumble they're too old to be mumble rappers, but they're not old enough to be in the the Kanye Jay Z level. Yeah, like, they're like yeah, the middle yeah. children. Like so, uh, Kendrick's my favorite out of that. I think Drake. You have to give it to him, man. The guy knows how to make hits. Yeah, and he knows oh, yeah. how to shift culture, and that is that is. I mean, that's only person I've seen be able to do that is Kanye or Jay-Z. Uh, those are the two that I'm like, they, it's almost like Kanye ships culture at will. And yeah. I think Drake kind of has semblances of that in the way he moves. Um, we're going to be coming back to doing more decade stuff uh, in the, over the next couple of weeks here as we wrap up the decade. So uh, I do hope y'all hit us with some of your opinions over there out there on, on Twitter and Facebook. You can let us know what you think. Um, and I think that is going to wrap it up for us this week. Derek, man, thanks for making it work, dude. I know it's a busy yeah, time of year. For, I appreciate you sitting yeah, down man. with us and talking to us and, and give us your opinion on so much stuff. Thanks a lot. Oh, man, you know I love y'all, man. Y'all are, this is one of the most fun times a year for me. So hit me up whenever. It's love. Well, well, Absolutely, we'll man. And we'll see if, we'll sure. see if we can get you. And I'm willing to pay Mark McGrath to come on too <laughs> next time and whatever, maybe whatever deliver some hard news to some friends out there for us. So, hey, uh, man. I, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you now, whenever I, uh, well, I don't, I work for myself, so I can't quit my job. I need to find a way I can use Mark McGrath. Like, <laughs> my, like maybe, maybe if I'm not going to show up to like a concert or something, I'll be like, hey, guys. This is Mark McGrath. Tell him I'm not coming, and he'll be like, "Hey guys, Derek just didn't feel it today." <laughs> now, I want to do. I want Mark McGrath to deliver some tough medical news. Like, hey, listen, I know. Oh my god! I, I know you've been fearing the worst, but I got to tell you, he's going to lose the finger. The accident was just too bad. That finger's gone. But listen, bro, he's a tough guy. He's going to bounce back. This is Mark McGrath. I'm sorry about your finger. It's going to be amputated. All right, peace and love mark mcgrath out like it would, it would really soften a blow for a tough medical situation well uh if you listen to this and you do need to listen to Derek's new album they did with, with our friend prop nothing but a word is available now also hey thanks to kelvin harrison jr for joining us his movie waves i got a chance to see it it's a really really terrific movie you'll be hearing a lot about it as award season gets going here make sure you check that out when you get an opportunity and also Make sure you listen to Relevant Daily. That's the podcast where we deliver the top five stories of the day at the intersection of faith and culture. Uh, you can subscribe to that and make sure you, you keep up on all the news. And uh, this is going to be able to podcast for us this week with the holidays. So I hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving and we will see you all uh, next week. I'm Tyler. I'm Chandler String. I'm Jesse. I'm Derek Miner. Peace. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. for listening to the relevant podcast if you like what you heard be sure to leave us a review on itunes check out other shows from the relevant podcast network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. and while you're there browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store 
make sure to subscribe to Relevant Magazine. Info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe. But listen, bro, he's a tough guy. He's going to bounce back. This is Mark McGrath. I'm sorry about your finger. It's going to be amputated. Relevant Podcast Network.